Welcome to the first ever episode, official episode, of the Open Source Sports Podcast. My name is Ron Yurko. And I'm Kostas Pelegrinis. And together we are, if you wasted your time listening to the preview episode, we are launching what we're calling a public reading group for papers in statistics and sports, sports analytics. And for the first paper, we decided to pick a, what I'll call a classic, even though it's not that old, is Open War, an open source system for evaluating overall player performance in Major League Baseball by Ben Bomber, Shane Jensen, and Greg Matthews. And we are delighted to have Greg Matthews as our first guest. Greg Matthews completed his PhD in statistics at the University of Connecticut in 2011. From 2011 to 2014, he was a postdoc in the School of Public Health at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Since 2014, he has been a professor of statistics at Loyola University Chicago, where according to him, he led the men's basketball team to the Final Four in 2018. But he was recently promoted to associate professor with tenure in March 2020. I don't know if that had anything to do with the Final Four appearance. And he's also running, for some reason, a Settlers of Catan online tournament. So thank you, Greg, for joining us. Well, it's great to be here. And, and as we all know, my greatest accomplishment is getting 64 people in sports analytics world to uh, participate in a Settlers of Catan tournament during the quarantine. <laughs> it's, it's pretty great. The, um, so if... To get started, you know, one of the reasons why we picked Open War was some of the fundamental ideas of what the paper was trying to promote in terms of reproducible research and sports analytics. And it was tackling a pretty important concept in sports statistics. So we were wondering then to start, if you give a brief overview recap of the paper and what you were trying to accomplish before we dive into the details. Okay, can I, can I tell a story about how, how it came to be? Yeah, go for it. All right, so uh, after I graduated from UConn, I uh, started at, at UMass as a postdoc in, in genetics in the School of Public Health. And um, at, in my second year, uh, Ben Balmer, who was with the Mets at the time, during my first year, he ended up taking a job at Smith College. I think he was, a, he was probably like a visit assistant, assistant professor position. Um, and what ended up happening is the way I got in touch with Ben was um, there was another postdoc named Haley Hedlund who was doing this like a uh, teaching postdoc. And she, I had had lunch with her one day and I had mentioned that I was interested in sports analytics and she was like, Oh, I'm doing some teaching at Smith. You should talk to, to Ben Ballmer. And I was like, the, the guy from the Mets? She's like, yeah, he's at Smith college. And I had no idea. And then uh, Ben gave a talk at, at, at UMass Amherst in the stat department. And I, I introduced myself to him after the talk, like, like a fanboy, I was like, hey, what's up? I, uh, I'm over there in the School of Public Health. Uh, maybe we can work on a paper together. And I thought we were going to do something, um, you know, something small. Like we do like a little uh, small paper about baseball. And Ben was like, how about we do war? And I was like, wait, wait what? That's huge. Um, and then he had like, he had like these, these big grand ideas. And so um, we ended up working on, on open war together. And so I think there's two lessons here are that networking is important and talking to people and you just never know who you're going to meet by just saying what you're interested in and saying, oh, well, hey, by the way, uh, there's someone over there who likes sports. And, and the other thing I think that um, is important is that Ben thinks big, right? 
um, he didn't want to do like a, like let's find a little thing in baseball. He was like, let's, let's do war, which is like this all encompassing statistic. Um, and so I never would have, you know, tackled that problem, but, uh, Ben That's sort exactly of, what Sam Ventura is like as well. Yeah. Well, he's also a hero. <laughs> <laughs> so I, the world needs people who are like, think big. And then, you know, you, you see where it goes. So anyway, um, the, if you actually look at, if you look at Ben Bomber's Twitter feed, his background on the Twitter feed is the board that, uh, where we sort of mapped out, uh, the first, it's like the first sketch of open war. So you want me to talk about the, the paper now? Yeah, go for it. Okay. All right. So um, Ben's, Ben's sort of big idea was that um, none of the, there, there's all these different implementations of, of war for baseball. Um, I, I, I'm assuming most people who are listening to this probably have some background on wins above replacement and, and what it means. Um, so I'm, I'm going to skip that part, I guess. Um, and so what he challenged me to do was he said, go and, and look at the different versions of war. So there's, there's baseball prospectus has one, uh, fan graphs has one, and then baseball reference has a, a different version and they're all suddenly different. And what he challenged me to do was he challenged me to, uh, um, reproduce them. And so I was like, of course, of course you can do it. Right. You just go figure out what the formulas are and then go do it. And, and I couldn't, um, you can do parts of open war you can, or parts of war you can reproduce. Um, there's like the, um, the, the linear weight stuff for offensive or weighted, weighted batting average, weighted on base average. Uh, those are a lot of the different components for the offensive piece. Um, but then the defensive stuff is really hard to reproduce. Um, and a lot of it's proprietary and you just can't really do it. So um, what his, his big idea was, let's make, let's make an open source version of this where we're going to sort of his limitations were all the code that, was, that we created had to be publicly available. And he also wanted the data that we used to be publicly available. So everything was completely reproducible, which is, you know, um, the big thing in science these days is reproducible research, right? And so Ben wanted to apply those, the scientific ideas of reproducible research to sports where it's not, you know, not, not as rigorous. Um, you know, we've seen some stuff that happens in sports. Um, and so the data source we ended up using, which was, uh, it's open if you know how to get it. Um, we use the ML BAM data, which is Major League Baseball Advanced Media, and um, we we uh, wrote Open War. One of the, or sort of two of the, I'll say two of the big things that we, well, we obviously wanted to be all open source with open code and open data, but the, the other parts that we were sort of, we really wanted was we wanted a unified, uh, like a unified methodology across all the different components of Open War, and um, we were also interested in quantifying uh, error estimates. Everyone who quotes war, uh, even still, they're like, oh, this person's war was 8.4, plus or minus what? There's never any mention of, of error in these things. Um, so we wanted to um, be able to add error to these things, and we also wanted to have this unified methodology. If you look at the other versions of war, um, they do one thing for offense, and then they do something completely unrelated for defense, and they do something completely unrelated for pitching, and then they sort of put all these things together. Uh, in open war, what we tried to do is we tried to develop one sort of methodology that could be applied across all the different components, and then you can combine these components into uh, what we call what we call open war. How's that for an introduction? That was great. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I guess then we're going to start 
with diving into the methodology behind this and what you talked about with the conservation of runs framework. So mm -hmm. I'll, I'll, at this point, I would give a sponsor to for this part if I had one, but I don't. But I'll turn it over to Costas for this first question. Yeah, so this uh, first question actually is uh, being sponsored by our Twitter followers. <laughs> it's uh, a question uh, that was put out on Twitter by uh, Adi Weiner. Uh, and he's asking, um, he's saying that the first step that uh, you do in, in the paper is to adjust for platoon effect. Um, why uh, do this in a cumulative value statistic and doesn't this undervalue, for example, lefty hitters? Uh, and, and what do other estimators do with that? Uh, so, so the, the, one of the, bigger, the biggest criticisms of, of open war is um, what, what are we choosing to add into our models and what are we, what are we leaving out? So, yeah, so um, is, it, it, will, it will undervalue them because you're, you're comparing them uh, to other left-handed hitters. Um, but we know that it has we know that it has a big effect on the game, right? So, I guess I guess my answer would be um, you shouldn't get bonus points for getting uh, or bonus bonus points. You shouldn't get like extra credit for happen to happen to getting a good matchup with the pitcher, right? That's sort of out of the player's control. Um, so I would I would defend it like that. They're absolutely right that. Um, this this will essentially undervalue left-handed hitters somewhat, um, but if you don't control for it, there's we historically everyone knows there's a huge advantage to getting uh, the right matchup between a pitcher and a batter, and so we felt that needed to be controlled for in some way. And the way you control for that is by looking at the handedness of the pitcher and the batter. Um, so maybe there was better ways to do it, but the the beautiful part about this is it's all open source, and if you hate what we did. Go fix it yourself. <laughs> That's good. So I, I had a question tied with that, and I know you're going to say it's open source, so you could fix it and you go do it yourself. <laughs> but the decision of accounting for ballpark effects, mm -hmm. and I have a big problem with ballpark effects in general. Okay. In terms of I, I don't understand how you can properly estimate them without accounting for the players on the teams. Because ideally what the ballpark effect should be right is some function of the dimensions of the ballpark, the weather, the altitude, right? Whether that's changing over the course of the year. Like that's really what a ballpark effect is. Yes. Right. So when we just throw in stadium indicators, especially if someone decided to do this in the middle of the season, I, you could just be completely pulling out, you know, the team's strong offensive performance or poor defensive, you know, poor offensive performance during a streak or whatever, right? It. That, yeah, I, so, that's why it's it's a challenge to me of doing a ballpark effect without also accounting for all of the pitchers and hitters in a single model itself. Right. So did you look at? doing something that was say not just straight up stadium indicators we we did not so so um 
so okay, if you wanted to estimate, if you wanted to estimate, like, if you wanted to isolate ballpark effect entirely by itself, you would somehow like randomize the the batters and the pitchers and just put out a whole, just get a whole bunch of observations, and then that would sort of like wash away the effect of the batters and the pitchers, and you could isolate the effect of of the stadium, right? You don't you don't get that in in the real world, but um, you are getting you know uh, hundreds of players who are from different teams who are coming in to play at a stadium every year, right? So it's it's never going to be perfect, but you are getting to see a lot of different players in each stadium every year, right? If if it was something like you a whole bunch of players only played at home and it was always these players, then it would be totally confounded, but like. It, it certainly will be confounded a little bit with the players yeah. who are on that team, but I, I think when you get enough opponents into the into the into the stadium to play there over the course of you know a ton of games across the season, a ton of plate appearances, um, there's going to be some confounding between the players on the home team and the and the park effect. Or, um, but my guess is it would be minimal. But I don't. I don't know. It's something you could you could look into see to figure out like how much uh, how much that park effect is um, related to the actual players in the team. I don't know if anyone's ever actually looked at that before. They've just assumed that there's enough players um, enough players come through a, a park that like it's not something anyone really thinks about. Yeah, I definitely think it's a problem if you're doing it in the in the middle of a season, right? Because then you're dealing with a smaller sample of maybe it's just certain division games, et cetera, right? That could be just driving a particular observed performance at a ballpark. Over the course of an entire season, yeah, hopefully it's right. <laughs> the, um, or if you're using just historical seasons leading up to it, right? Because I've seen very odd discussions about ball, ballpark effects of how people view a, them as changing when the ballpark itself doesn't change, which doesn't make any sense to me, other than if there's actually some outside factor of hey you know they're doing whatever to the balls now at Coors Field to adjust that right that's a change to the ballpark effect of where the Rockies play but some of these other aspects of it I just feel like it's a difficult problem that's often understated yeah I, I this type of analysis basically all any all anyone ever does is is throw it in as an indicator and let the let the data figure it out but you're I think you're right where there is some confounding with who the players are on the team certainly um yeah I I don't necessarily disagree with the the idea that ballpark effects can change um because if there's changes in the equipment or there's changes in um a whole bunch of different things so like the ball is the big deal right now right if if the if the ball changes that can have different effects at different ballparks and so, yeah, the parks remaining the same, but the effect that the park can have on the game with the change in equipment doesn't necessarily change, you know, the same way for every ballpark. So I don't, I don't think it's – if everything else was held constant, yes, ballpark effect would be – should be this constant because it has to do with, as you said, the dimensions. But, um, you know, with, with the changes like the ball, that, that's going to change the effect of these – it's going to change the ballpark effects. And so I do think it, it, it is changing over time. Yeah, that's interesting. I guess I'll have to – I don't know if someone specifically has maybe like a review of or sensitivity analysis of ballpark effect estimates over a period of time or within. I, 
have to check that out. Maybe see. I imagine someone's looked at it somewhere on like a sabermetric site, but not in maybe a more rigorous manner. Right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the like, next I'll thing I'll, I'll tweet out my people and see if they've thought. Okay, so the next thing I want to ask you about then, with the offen the offensive run value aspect of this, and I know it's a controversial part of what you decided to do. <laughs> is adjusting for position. Mm -hmm. And the idea here is players who play more difficult fielding positions tend to be weaker hitters. But right. why are you doing this at the at-bat level? Well, Ron, I kind of thought you would ask this question. Um, okay, so... What, what we, what, when we... We were in Montreal. JSN was in Montreal a few years ago, and I was talking to Ben about this. And um, one thing we were noticing was that – so we, we originally were not controlling for position. or In the process, in the process of developing this, we were, we were not controlling by position. We were kind of going back and forth on it. And we noticed, we noticed something was wrong with the pitchers. Um, if you don't control uh, for position – so what's happening with the pitchers is if you don't control for position at, at, the, at the plate appearance level, what ends up happening is they are so bad at hitting, they end up with these, they end up with these incredibly negative uh, runs, above, uh, runs above average numbers, and that basically makes them worthless uh, because it's, it's canceling out a big chunk of their pitching performance. And that really it doesn't really make sense to do that, right? Like a, a, a pitcher – has value as a pitcher, right? And no one expects them to hit. So we, we had to control for the pitcher on the offensive side or else they, they would all become worthless. And so then you can extend – okay, go ahead. So instead of doing the, the position at the, within the regression, though, couldn't you just essentially, when you're looking at the individual war components, the offensive – aspect of it the pitcher's offensive contribution is evaluated relative to the replacement level pitcher's offensive contribution right so if you're just changing the baseline to which the pitcher's replacement level you know above replacement level offensive contribution is is just looking at pitchers there then you don't need to do the term within the regression right if it's just let's just do position level baselines that you're evaluating relative to in terms of whatever value added metric I'm using, which in this case is the run expectancy, RE24. Mm -hmm. So if I'm just, I have pitchers who, yeah, they're really bad on offense and most of them are really negative values based on their at-bats, but all of them are negative. So they're all really close together negative. So the offensive component relative to the replacement level pitcher doesn't you know that just that solves your problem there rather than accounting for the position within the regression because the odd interpretation of doing it within the regression is at this is saying I have a player who said maybe in one game he plays first base and another game he plays a more difficult defensive position and then it's, I have the exact same event, exact same situation, exact same change in run value. Mm -hmm. But because he was playing first base for that particular bat, 
it w it's less attributed to him, right? Yes, I can defend That's this. Odd. I don't, okay. Um, but okay, when you construct a lineup in baseball, you don't get to pick your your nine best players. You don't get to pick, you don't get to pick your nine best hitters, right? If if you did construct it like that, it wouldn't matter. But the fact is that when you put nine players in a lineup, they all have to do something in the field. And I'm arguing, and you can think what you want about this, but I'm arguing that the fact that someone is able to get a hit and also play shortstop is more valuable than if someone is in the lineup and they get the same hit at first base because you don't, ran, you don't get to just choose nine hitters. They have to do something else. And so the fact that they can do that on offense and play shortstop is more valuable than if they could do it at another less uh, – I, I understand your point, and I, I get that point now. It's, it's okay, you're attributing there's a difficulty for that game, and so we're going to bake that in by doing it this way. Yeah. I, I, I get the point. It's, I guess when, I get, when you go into the resampling, then it just it has an odd feel to it. Because if you're resampling a player's season, and then it's just the, okay, the, the player has these particular events that take place, right? Mm -hmm. These number of home runs, triples, or whatever. But it's like the adjustment of maybe if they change the position around every once in a while. The, um, I guess it actually won't be that big of a problem necessarily, right, for the, the players that don't – I mean, most players just play one position. Right, right. right. Yeah, it gets, yeah. It, gets a little bit, it gets a little bit weird where, like it, – it, it is weird where if, if you have a batter who, like, um, they, they go back and forth between, like, first and third base or something like that, and they hit a home run, it's valued differently depending on what they were doing defensively in that game. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what we're doing. And uh, our two arguments are that you don't get to just put nine good hitters out. They also have to do something else on defense. And that's what, that's what you do. You have to do it in baseball. Like I wouldn't argue for this in football because if you're doing, if you're on offense, it doesn't, there is no defensive thing that you have to do, but there's this other thing that you have to do. And everyone in baseball knows that um, there's, you know, it's better if you have a shortstop who can hit home runs, they're incredibly valuable. If you have a first baseman who hits home runs, well, yeah, they're all sort of doing that, right? Um, so that's that's how I that's how I no, it makes sense. I, I guess I'd be interested at the end to see a comparison of doing the positional adjustment within a regression versus doing the positional baseline when you're calculating relative to a replacement level. It it might be just like subtle differences. But no, I understand your point though about it now. That makes that makes sense. Ron, I so think that's a really good. Good. Uh, Ron, I think that's a really good idea. And um, if if you know any PhD students who have a ton of free time uh, and are into sports, you can download all this code. Um, and so I think I think you would be good for it, actually. Yeah, and I think we might have some summer undergrad students that could be good for it. Maggie uh, <laughs> Mellon Sports Analytics Summer Camp. The, um, but we'll talk about that later. Okay, all right, all right. The, okay, so the last thing I want to talk about with offensive run values, just the brief point that I, one of the things that's, re, that's great about the Open War framework is it's very simple, right? It is actually yeah. simply constructed in terms of the different components. 
based on this conservation of runs and on how you're attributing offensive side is equal to the defensive side. It's an accounting framework, which is great. So then once we have whatever we, before you actually get to attributing the hitter run value, you have a basic approach for doing base running. And you point out here that, you know, this was basically just a starting point that sort of bakes in the value from stolen bases, but it can be easily expanded upon. So I, I think there's been a couple papers about stolen bases that might, that could be itself put into this part, but it's, you know, in terms of the final offensive part, that itself makes sense. And of how you can attribute run value to players based on what I've seen in these other sites that do it, this is the most clear way of doing it, in my opinion. By, you know, actually, okay, probability of the empirical probability of advancing so many bases given the current base out situation, right? That's a simple enough idea that then you can improve upon with additional maybe pitch level analysis of stolen base probability, et cetera. So wrapping that offensive part up, I'll turn it over to Custis to begin the discussion about the defense part. Yeah, yeah. And uh, now that uh, reviewer two was convinced about the positional adjustment, <laughs> <laughs> I, I have some um, questions with, with regards to the defensive run values and particularly uh, when you um, apportion the defensive runs and the fielding runs, Basically, you use two different models, right? So you um, uh, have the first model that um, uh, basically uh, splits between pitchers and fielders, and then the uh, model that uh, makes the, the split between the fielders. So could you combine these two into a single multinomial model uh, where the classes is basically the fielding positions and maybe a null class if the ball was not in play? Uh, and would that give any benefit? So, okay, so you're saying that uh, we, are, we are taking the defensive runs, we're splitting them between the, the pitcher as a pitcher and then the, all the fielders. Mm -hmm. You're suggesting um, we lump all that into a single, a single model. It's not immediately clear to me how you would do that because the so the reason we split it up is because there's um, there's a definitive difference between uh, what the pitcher is doing and what the fielders are doing, and so I'm not sure exactly how you would. So, for example, do it so all at once. what what um, what uh, you're doing then in the fielding ground values, right? Um, Basically, you, you take the part that would be assigned to the fielders when the ball is in play, mm -hmm. and basically you just uh, identify a probability of who, which fielder will um, be responsible for the ball in play. Yes. So, so basically, what my thought was, why don't just take all the fielders that you have as a separate class in a single model, then add another class which is, um, you know, the ball was not in play um, and the pitcher and have this as a single model. That was my, my idea. Of course, I'm not sure. I'll have all the details that are needed. Um, so, I mean, I, I, think you could, I think you could certainly do that. Um, 
I don't know, I don't know how much different it would look like for, from ours because uh, when the ball is not in play, um, you know, all of that's going to the pitcher. So it's, it's sort of, there's something happening that's similar to what you're suggesting, right? Um, there, it's just not in one model. It's two mm-hmm. separate models. And we're saying that um, when the ball's not in play, that other model gets zero to start with. And so it's splitting up. It's still mm-hmm. splitting up. It's just splitting up zero. Yeah. But we just don't have it in one model. But sure, I think you could, I think you could do that. Um, I, I'd be interested to see how how different that is from what we were doing. I think that'd be an interesting thing to look at, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It would be, it definitely be, be. Go ahead, Costas. Yeah. I had some undergrad students at CMU in the summer might look at that. Yeah. It would <laughs> definitely be a more complex model. And I think this is the funny thing is what they did in Open War by doing individual uh, regression, individual logistic regression for each position, right? That and then just normalizing afterwards. That's the exact same thing that we technically propose in our going deep paper about receiver catch probability that we actually didn't do. But it's the exact same idea, right? Because that is a lot simpler from a model fitting perspective instead of having to deal with a multinomial. And in the end, it might actually just be equivalent. Um, yeah. And, and I think it's a good uh, what, question, though. what Greg uh, mentioned in the beginning that one of the goals of war, open war was basically to have every component um, estimated in a similar way. Now that makes sense that, you know, all the components are kind of um, estimated in a similar way. You have a model, a residual, fit another model and so on. Yeah. So another thing I'll say is that like, so Ron, Ron pointed out two good things and he was uh, at the end of the um, offensive part. And one of them that he said was uh, that this is, this is an, uh, it's an accounting, right? Open war is probably not that predictive. I mean, it's going to be somewhat predictive, but that was never the goal, right? It's, it's an accounting of what actually happened, and we're trying to apportion what actually happens to the individual players. And so in that sense, it's not, it's not predictive, and it, there's no cross-validation here. It never was meant to be that. And the other thing that he talked about was, and it's related to what you were saying, is that um, everything we do here is super, super simple. Um, everything's just a linear regression. Um, Everything is a linear regression except for the fielding component, which is just uh, a, a two-dimensional kernel density estimator. That's as complex as this gets. And I think, um, I think that's really nice in a way that everything is done so simply, right? It's very attainable to people with, um, you know, relatively basic statistical backgrounds, right? This is certainly not the most complex uh, paper I've ever written, but... Um, putting everything together and being simple, I think is uh, a really nice way to do, um, to do this. It puts it all together in one framework. Yeah. And yeah, I think the, the defensive component here itself is something that could be like easily expanded with, you know, instead of re- replacing the at bat type of, you know, the batted ball type events, you know, use the stack cast, launch angle, exit velocity information. Um, the one thing I was wondering why you didn't do this, I, I don't know if it was just you only wanted to use XY information at the time, was why not do a ballpark adjustment and also handedness within the defensive probability model? Um, give, give me an example. What do, you, what do you mean? Well, I mean, okay, because it's about where the ball was going. I don't know if maybe just knowing how the dimension, you know, ballparks have different dimensions. If that has anything to do with 
the so outcome of predicting about... a defensive you know, probability someone gets it at somewhere the um it might actually just be a bad idea now that I think about it more. <laughs> well, so I'll, 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 I'm going to give you a rundown of the flaws in our defensive modeling component here. Go for um, it. So the, you're talking about like StatCast data and, and the, the launch angle and the velocity and all that stuff. That was not uh, – Yeah, that I was after this paper. I don't believe that was publicly available at the time. The, the data that we're actually using here is, is kind of a mess fielding-wise. It's, um, it's the XY coordinates of uh, where the ball is either first played or it lands. Or if they pick it up, right? If they I pick it up, it, right. Yeah. And it's not, it's not like there's a camera in the... It's uh, someone denoting it. It's someone literally going like, they have like a pad in front of them with a diamond on it and they're taking your pencil and they're going, I think it was there. I mean, it's like a little electronic pad and then they're like, that's where the ball landed. But like, who knows? Um, but that was, we were restricting ourselves to, um, we wanted to use entirely open data and that's what was available at the time. This is like 2000, uh, you know, this is like 2013, which was a totally different era. I don't know, do you remember that Ron, 2013? It was a, did I lose you? No, no what, are we, what about 2013? 2013, it was a different, it was a different era. You were probably just a young child then. I was beginning college. You're beginning college, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I was a freshman so, in college. Actually, I do. Wait a second. Now that I go back to this, when you were just talking about this with the defensive modeling, there you actually do a ballpark adjustment. It's really odd. You, defensive. Yeah. It so, and I'm gonna say this for people that are listening on the archive version of the paper on page eight. It's equation nine. You first do the probability of it being an out, right? And then you do the probability for each individual position of getting the put out or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then you do a ballpark adjustment afterwards. Why not include the ballpark within each of those two previous models instead of doing this afterwards? I don't know, Ron. <laughs> uh, that that part, it was just, that was, that was the part that kind of just seemed a bit odd to me. Because, like, the rest of the defensive part makes sense, and you could easily adjust it. But then it was, now we're going to do a defensive, we're going to do a ballpark adjustment after we get the attribution of a particular pair, of a particular fielder normalized over everybody else then we're going to adjust for the ballpark when I'm curious, you know, if you, if maybe you don't remember since it is so long ago of doing it for each of the prior two models instead. I don't, I don't remember why we decided to include a ballpark effect in the fielding model here. Uh, let me see if I can defend it. Um, It might have been a reviewer's request. <laughs> I'm not sure I can. So um, what would that look like? It would, it would mean that there's a different probability of making a play depending on the park you're in. Different um, probability of a fielder making a play on a, a ball that's being fielded 
depending on the park you in. Wait, like I, I think that can make sense. That's why I was thinking about that beforehand of the probability of the right fielder or center fielder given some information about, hey, there's this niche or whatever in the structure of the outfield. You know, knowing some particular aspect of the ballpark maybe reflects a slight difference in field probability. Yeah, actually, I – so for the I, outfield than the infield. Yeah, yeah. I do, I do like this actually in the model then. It, it, will, it will only affect outfielders, right? Yeah. Um, it should only but, affect outfielders. <laughs> right, right. Um, but there can, there can be big, uh, big differences in – there's big differences in outfields across the league. Well, um, one thing that's true, right, is something like Fenway, what the, the stands are right up along the lines, so there's no foul territory. So whatever the X, Y that gets denoted in foul territory, right. Fenway should have, hey, it's gone, zero. I just – it's a little odd to do it after – words that's that's what i don't understand and i don't know if there was some justification for that versus doing it within the two models yeah so that, that first model only includes x y x y and then we pull out i i don't know um we, we then, you're then pulling out the the sort of normalized component, and then that's getting portioned across the different fielders, but then, there you are controlling for park effect. So it's after the, it's, it's with these probabilities that you're. I'm gonna say you should ask Ben about that. <laughs> okay, this might be a. Ben Follow up email or reach out on Twitter of some kind. I will, I'll ask him about that. I, I don't remember. Um, so this is Park Effect in Equation 9. Ben will definitely have the answer. Okay. I mean, it kind of makes sense. I, I, it kind of makes sense using it. I'm not sure why it's there and not directly, because it could have gone in the previous one. It's not, it's not numbered, but at the beginning of section, on page 7 at the bottom there, why not include it in that model? Right? Yeah. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. Well, this will be a follow-up for the show that then we'll tweet about or maybe add to the show notes, et cetera. <laughs> yeah, you don't know, we don't know what we're doing. We've never done this before. We'll figure <laughs> it out. <laughs> but, okay. Oh, you're doing a great job, guys. Good. Thanks. Thanks, Greg. So the last part of the defensive run value, you know, the way pitchers are handled, I guess the only concern would be the exact same concern about offensive value of adjusting for ballpark and handedness effect. But, you know, some, we already talked about that, and I think it's basically the same. Whether or not you think it's an issue or not, it applies to the exact same thing here with mm -hmm. hitters and pitchers. Um, so we'll move on from that. Wait, I have something else. You got something? Okay. So, um, so the way we're doing or the, the, in the original paper, the way we were talking about um, doing the apportioning between um, the pitcher and the, and the fielders, it's conditional on whether the player made like the out. So there's a, there's a part where like if, if, um, if a fielder 
if like the outfielder gets a ball hit at him and he's supposed to make that play 90% of the time, right. And he catches the ball. Um, he gets very little credit for that. Right. If he's only supposed to make the play 10% of the time and he, and he makes that play, he's going to get a ton of credit for it. Um, we, we, we actually got this wrong in the paper and I had a conversation with Michael Wenz, who's a professor at Northeastern, uh, Illinois university. Um, we had it, we had it done in a way that I don't remember. I'm either going to get backwards or I don't remember exactly which way it was, but, um, we needed to flip one of the ways we were doing this. So it, it was like, if they made the play, you use one model. And if they didn't make the play, you had a different model. And I believe that one of those was incorrect. Um, it did, Originally he, he, when you did this, not the one it, that's currently online. The, in the original paper, there was a, uh, there's a, um, this, this flipping of um, a defensive component. And so either the pitcher or the, or the batter is getting too much credit on plays where like an out was made. So it's, it's flipping who's getting the credit. It's the same amount of credit. It's just going to a different place. This has been updated though in the, um, in the code that currently sits in GitHub. This change has been made. It was made a few years ago. But in the original paper, um, this was, uh, this was a, a flaw in the original paper. But that's, isn't that the beauty of uh, uh, open source things? We, we wrote a paper, someone read it, and they were like, this doesn't make any sense. And then we were like, you know what, you're right, and we fixed it. That's interesting. I'll have to check that out because I didn't huh. – So it's um, – was it just like a GitHub issue that was posted that then for the uh, package? Yeah. Oh, cool. I'll yeah. So check I, that out. Maybe I can link to the the GitHub GitHub issue itself on the show notes. Yeah, that'd be that'd be cool. It's in the part where um, on on the at the very end of section three point four, there's that. Uh, negative delta i and it's one minus pi and pi yeah that stuff that needs to be done that needs to be done differently for whether or not they catch the ball or not yeah that makes sense okay so we were doing it yeah we had it all that uh the fielders get the the probability of making the catch but it needs to be flipped when they don't make the catch yep and so that is a uh whatever you want to call it, a flaw, a mistake, you know. Well, you had the correct logic, but then there was like the implementation part of when the event occurs and then you actually have to tally up the value, right? Yeah. The, um, well, so no, that makes sense. Okay. Our, our logic was correct most of the time, but there were certain <laughs> plays where like if, if they didn't make the play, you need to flip that, that apportionment because, you know, if a, if a player gets a ball hit directly at them and they drop it, what we were doing is blaming the pitcher for it. And that's, it shouldn't be that way. It. it needs to be, it needs to be all on the fielder. If, if a ball gets hit at you and you don't have to move and you drop it, that's your fault. Pitcher gets no blame for that or should get no blame for it, but they were getting blamed for it in the original framework. So I'll, I'll see if I can go, I'll see if I can find that, uh, where the change was made, what the, the GitHub, um, the commit where it was made. Okay, cool. All right, so that, w- that concludes our defensive discussion. Okay. And move into talking about replacement level and oh wins. Oh, yeah, this is going to be fun. So I'll turn it over to Costas. Yeah, that's the, the big elephant in the room. 
So okay. placement level. So um, so that's a little bit relevant. It follow, follows up a little bit on uh, what Ron was discussing about positional adjustments. But um, so from what I, I understood from the paper is that uh, you use uh, two replacement levels, one for pitchers and one for the rest of the position. So yes. not, okay, that's uh, correct. So so the question I have is. Uh, even for the rest of the positions, um, you know, it might be different um, if you are an outfielder, fielder, uh, different if you are a shortstop. So even these different positions might have different replacement level or even within a position, the replacement level based on what skills you have or what the team gets you for might be different. So for example, let's say in basketball, right? So in basketball, Maybe you are um, a replacement level guard, but you are excellent at uh, playing the pick and roll. So this might make you valuable exactly due to that um, skill. So do you think that this is, first of all, easy to do uh, in baseball? And uh, would that have any huge difference uh, in the results? Well, well so, um, so you're asking about like re different replacement levels for different positions, right? Different positions, but also even within a position, depending on how a team needs to use you, mm -hmm. um, maybe it is replacement level for a skill of that position. Yeah, one thing I was thinking, I was talking to Costas about this before, was the an example that pops in my head is the, like, could you define a replacement level defensive shortstop that can't hit? Because that's like a particular breed of baseball player that does exist. And maybe you're interested in finding that defensive shortstop that's cheap and can't hit, and you just want to evaluate him relative to replacement level ones. Mm -hmm. well, okay, so um, so I think, well, well, I think we sort of did this. So the, the way we actually um, define replacement level players is um, we, we use the term replacement level shadow. Okay, so there was this, there was this player who um, – we define this pool of players who's replacement level, and then that defines um, – we, we have values for all these – for every event, we have some value uh, that the replacement level players would have provided. Then what we say is, all right, let's take all of the plate appearances and all the times they were on first base, second base, third base, all the times they played different positions, and what would this person – uh, what would a replacement level player have done if they were thrown into exactly the same situations as this other real player? Okay. And that includes like how many times they were in the field at first base, how many times they were a runner on second base, how many times they were at bat, right? So we're, we're replacing, uh, we're, we're taking every player's real situations and we're saying, what would the average replacement level player have done in this place? And I guess it's the idea, though, of modifying that pool of replacement-level players, though, right? That would change that. Because I, I, the idea of the shadowing, I think, is the most sort of intuitive way of actually defining relative to a replacement level versus what's, what's, what's being done in these other – replacement level, by definition, is arbitrary, right? Yeah. So, but doing the shadow replacement makes a lot of sense. I think it, the idea, though, is – maybe that pool of players that you're using to do the shadowing maybe can vary by the component, right? 
or by the position itself versus just, all right, we've identified these players that didn't play this much and we're going to use them as the replacement pool. And then just they'll do their shadow in your different particular season and how you did relative to that. And that will be your value added above replacement level versus let's modify that pool for different players based on whatever position they play. Or maybe you have some target baseline of interest that way. Um, so, so I would say, um, so I think what you're suggesting is that for like, for offense, there would be one pool of replacement players. And then for defense, there would be a pool of replacement players. Or even for like first baseman, there'd be a different pool than third baseman or something like that. I would, I would counter that with, again, players aren't components, right? You have to put out nine players who are, um, they have to do the offensive and the defensive part, right? Um, and so I don't like the idea of separating um, the different pieces of offense and defense in the replacement pool. On the other hand, um, defining a replacement player is, to, defining a, the concept of a replacement player in like, um, to do anything like statistical with the concept of a replacement player is an insane task. Um, it's, it's this replacement player is this like, it's a concept that uh, if I, if I was like, if I was like write down the definition of a replacement player, it, it's impossible. Like, well, how do you, how do you even do that? Um, there's like all these, like people will tell you, well, it's, it's uh, it's the players who are, it's like the top of it's, conceptually it's the top of triple a right it's the players who if someone got hurt you could bring them in right away well okay but like what is that right it's this theoretical player who uh you know what what is he what is he bat what's his batting average what uh uh how good is he as a fielder it, it, it does it does depend on you know a replacement level first baseman is going to have different uh qualities than a replacement level third baseman so if you wanted to define um, different replacement levels for different positions, I think I would be okay with that as long as you kept the components together. As long as you weren't doing like, um, here's a first baseman's defensive replacement pool, and then they would have a different replacement pool for offense. I think as long as you kept everything together, the offense and the defensive components together, you could probably do like different replacement levels for different positions, but then yeah. people, people play different positions. So you'd need to, have them as a replace their shadow player would be one for here and then a different one over there. So uh, actually we were talking uh, with Ron uh, before something that you brought up. Are there enough, I mean, obviously there are enough players from minor leagues from AAA that go and play during the season they're being called up to play. Can you, you do they, are there enough data on these players for a season or for a, number of seasons that you can actually use those appearances they have to define replacement levels um so the the numbers we used were we had uh it was 12 12 pitchers and 13 batters or vice versa i'm not sure so we, we said there's 25 major leaguers on a team and then um when when rosters expand well also first of all there's there's a 25 person roster, but during the course of the season, people are, players are coming up and down. So you're getting more than the, the 25 who are on the team who are like the major leaguers. 
And then uh, when rosters expand at the end of the season, they go to 40-man rosters, and a lot more of these players will come up and they will get at-bats. Um, is there or are there enough of these at-bats? Um, maybe. Um, I, I don't know off the top of my head, but you could, you could go um, – it might be in the paper, but like how many um, – what's the number of observations for this replacement pool that we have? Um, I, don't, I don't know if that's actually in here, but um, I don't know if it's in here. But I mean, there's a lot of at bats in a season. <laughs> yeah, um, I guess it, it could be something of doing like a concrete definition of players that were explicitly like signed off the waiver wire or something like that, right? Literally, players that were moved around in hindsight over the course of the year that were by definition replacement, replacement. level, right? Like right. the literal replacement level is someone that's readily available to get, right? right. And you yeah. could do like some sort of contract analysis of it. I guess my biggest problem with everything regarding replacement level is how do you actually assess the definition of replacement level? Can you assess that? So I, I don't know. Um, I can give you a flaw with what we're doing though, is that if a player gets injured and they're a star, they're not going to get enough, they're not going to get enough at bats or um, they're not going to get enough war value or runs above average value. And they'll end up in the replacement pool. And so we have the exact same problem with the, cause we based NFL war, our replacement level following the exact same like roster type definition, which to me made sense mm -hmm. being a little bit more like this is a, a a role an arbitrary, you know, not necessarily an arbitrary cutoff, more of a, here's a cutoff based on some form of roster structure. Yeah. But then there were players that got hurt. So then they didn't have enough attempts at something. Right. So then they were in the class of replacement level, even if it was Tony Romo, who wasn't right. replacement level. <laughs> right. But you, but I would rather, I would rather have some objective cutoff where I'm not making the decision who's in it than saying, all right, well, these players are replacement level and these players are not, because that, you know, you could ask 10 different people and get 10 different answers. At least with this, there's a cutoff and everyone will get the same answer as what's a, what's a replacement level player. But you could do something with contracts, like, um, uh, you know, if the contract value is, but I don't even know if that works either, because um, there's like discounts and other ways of making money. So I, I don't know exactly how you would, um, like, I don't know how you would do it completely objectively because it's not a real thing. Replacement level is not, not a real thing. But it is a marketing tool, right, of this is a statistic and we're going to define it based off of this thing called replacement level. And it just became so popular. <laughs> yeah. So I actually, I actually have no problem with uh, com like having like just stopping at like runs above average. I have no problem stopping there. I think that's a I don't a think very... anybody has. Yeah. <laughs> I think everybody agrees that kind of a formulation can make sense. Yeah. But then we can't, we can't do war without the R, right? So we had to have some sort of replacement level because if we were going to, we're mimicking what these other things had done. Um, we had to define some sort of replacement level and come up with, and, and we were doing a run. So like we, we got the runs above average and we we're like, this is great. And then we we're like, all right, we need a replacement level and we need to convert it to wins. And so our, our wins conversion is we just so stopped and we're like, that's a good transition for the next thing I want to talk about is <laughs> yeah. the, the runs conversion to wins. So yeah. 
what you did in this paper is you're using the run expectancy to mm. do run value added. So it runs above average, convert that to runs above replacement. And then we're going to have the relationship based off of the Bill James Pythagoras to say how many runs equals a win. Yeah, and this is, what it, this is what everyone does, right? <laughs> yeah. I, what, what I have a problem with, and this came out even from working on the NFL war paper of does this create a problem of some made up notion of wins added during the year? Because it's not actually connected to the real observed wins in a season, right? Yep. To me, yep. if the idea is to reflect what actually happened over the course of the year with regards to wins, then you really should be using win probability added instead of runs added, right? But yep. this disturbs people when they think of the home run at the beginning of the game, the leadoff home run, right, has this huge win probability added swing. And then that's a lot more valuable than if someone hits a grand slam in the ninth inning with their team winning 15 nothing. Okay. That's disturbing to people. They want it to be exchangeable, right? Of, well, that event, what if, you know, if it happened earlier, then it should be the same value. But when we look at then these wins above replacement measures, they don't actually relate to wins in a season. Right. And so to me, then it's, if I want to actually evaluate war, I need to be able to, in my opinion, it should be related to wins in the season. Yeah. So one of the things, I don't know if we talk about this in future work, but um, one of the things we had, I had talked about with Ben was that if we did want to go to wins, you should throw away the whole idea of the run expectancy matrix and just go directly to win probability added. And then you can do the same kind of thing where you say, here is the win probability before here's the win probability after. And then you split that win probability up across all of the, um, I don't know, you need to do some sort of transformation away from the probabilities to something else. And then you split that transformed version across all the players. And then maybe you like you transform back to probability or something like that. Um, and then when they sum up to one, it's a win. <laughs> It's a win, right? It's that easy. That, that's, it, it's actually connected to wins. And, I, and so I wonder, if, is there really a way – and I think actually Bill James had wrote something about this a couple of years ago when there was some MVP discussion where he was talking about so-and-so's war. I think it was Judge and Altuve, and then he showed the wins of the two teams, and he said war doesn't make any sense at all. And to an extent, he's probably right. <laughs> yeah, It should actually be connected to the wins in a season. And I, I feel like there's a sense of people mistake the purpose of war in that they're basically doing the ultimate sort of adjusted plus minus stat. Right? They're trying to get like some player efficiency value that could be very much related to runs but it actually isn't related necessarily to the observed wins in a season. And I've yet to see someone do it really constructed with the point of related to wins in a season. I'm just curious more about your thoughts on that. So, so Ron, as I tell all of my students, not, you're not my student, but like, as I tell my students, which is unrelated to you, uh, the answer to all statistical questions is it depends. And so should we be doing this with runs or wins? I think the answer is it depends. 
it depends on uh, what your goal is. So if you if you did this with win probability, you're you're penalizing the players for you're penalizing players even more for um, you know being in a situation where like their team is up by twenty runs and they hit a grand slam. So it depends on what you want to measure. If you did a, if you did a true win wins above average where you were starting with win probabilities, you're you're starting to get at a measure of like clutchness, right? Because it's how yeah. often are, how how are they adding to their team's winning or losing probability, and that's completely context dependent. Yeah. Uh, our war is certainly it's it's context dependent in the in the sense that if you have someone on if the bases are loaded, you have more of a chance to score, but you also have more of a chance to screw things up, right? But a home run with the bases loaded is worth the same up to some point. It's, it's worth about the same um, no matter when they hit it. And I think if you're evaluating players for their performance, you want that property where like a home run is sort of a home run. It's the same thing. When, wins probability added would be a measure of like even more – it'd be more contextual. Right, because it would be all dependent on how, how often you're coming up in high leverage situations, right? Um, on the but other it's hand, it's actually related to wins. It's actually related to wins. And on the other hand, you could argue that, well, if you're coming up in high leverage situations, it'll sort of it'll sort of like average itself out. Where um, in high leverage situations, you have more of a chance to gain, but you also have more of a chance to lose, right? And then in the low leverage situations, you have more chance to gain and lose. And so, if sort of players are coming up on average in they're sort of leverage sort of like averages out across the season, then you still probably get to a, a pretty good measure of what they did actually during the season. I don't know. I have no idea what it would look like. Like how would I, it, I how guess would it my one, the one thing I'd be interested to see is if you still use the run expectancy version, but then change your win conversion formula that somehow actually relates to the observed team's wins, right? Instead of just, okay, we've determined some relationship that connects to how many runs are equal to a win. Well, now let's actually say, okay, so-and-so has this many runs above average and the Astros that, you know, maybe they play for the Astros or whatever team, right, won this number of games. And mm. then of the players within that, then could you attribute the runs added to wins based on the team's actual record? So you could like normalize so that the sum of wins above average somehow equaled the well, it wouldn't be equal to, but it would be it would be like the wins above replacement plus the wins that the replacement players would have gotten have that sum up to the actual wins they got. Yeah, I don't see why you couldn't do that, right? You would have to come up with some cutoff, though, of what's the replacement level team's wins. Right. <laughs> Which maybe um, you could just brute force simulate, maybe. Well, so I've seen that um, in some – I don't know if I – I might be making this up, but I believe I've read where um, some early definitions of a replacement, uh, replacement player is imagine a team that is, com is consisted entirely of replacement players. They would win 40 major league games. And it's like, okay, great. Well, how do you define that? <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, that's, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good uh, like conceptual definition of what it means. But then it's like, well, how do you, 
like what does that mean i know we don't we don't we're statisticians we don't like things that are arbitrary right right <laughs> I, I need i need a rule i need an algorithm and that right. doesn't work for me yeah but. but but i mean that would maybe if you make that decision where it's going to be 40 wins you could say all right here's then the wins you can of replacement. the rest yeah. of the runs added right to that yeah. Team. So, yeah i wonder how i wonder how far off our um if you did that with like, if you added up our war scores across or the war values across a team, I wonder, um, I mean, it, it would be pretty close, right? Because it's, it's a function of runs and runs, more runs you win. Um, I mean, I would guess it wouldn't be a completely correct ordering, but it would, it would be, you know, it would look somewhat like the actual standings. Yeah. I think the biggest differences will be if there was a team, for example, that, had a lot of uh, blowout wins yep. or blowout loses, losses. And then they would end up looking as if they had uh, double the wins or something like that. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Like a, a few years ago, the, the Orioles won a bunch of games by like one run. Um, and they had a really good record, but they weren't scoring very many runs. Uh, that would get sort of – those teams would get sort of weird. Like teams that were just – they were constantly pulling out one-run games. Because they would look, we would say, well, look, they're not a very good, they're not a very good team. If you add up their war, it's going to be not so great. But they were actually winning a bunch more than they should have. Yeah. Um, That's yeah. a good point. It's interesting. Okay, there's the next thing then we'll move on to uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's okay. a, a very interesting part. Uh, we're always all about uncertainty. Uh, so it, it was interesting that you had separated three different types of variability. You have mm-hmm. the model variability, which is um, hopefully small since you have a lot of data. Then mm-hmm. you have the situational and player outcome. And uh, one question I had when I was reading the paper is, is there a way that you can actually uh, further disassociate this uncertainty and say that this part of the uncertainty, this percentage of variability is because of the situations that this player got in, uh, and this part is because of lack player outcome. Um, so is there any way you think that you can do that? Or even with the actual war estimate, that 30% of the war estimate is because this person got into high leverage situations. Um, I, th- I think you could do it. I think you would have to, um, I think you would change, I think you would, you would do the bootstrapping twice in different places. So you would like, um, so if you wanted like all those components together, you would bootstrap at the beginning and then, uh, and then you would take each of your bootstrap data sets and you would like fit the model on each of them and then also estimate the player totals. You could, then, you could then say, all right, let's fit the models once. And then after we fit the models once, you could then at that point do the bootstrapping. And now you're removing the, the part that is the models. You could then, another step would be to uh, fit the models, look at the, the contextual places, and then, and then fix all of that. And then do bootstrapping after that to estimate like the, play, the, the total, the player variability. So I think, I think you could do it by just deciding on what you – what you fixed before you did the bootstrapping. Um, I, I will say that one thing we, we did, we did this, um, we did the bootstrapping at the beginning and we were fitting the models over and over again. Um, if you do this on a full season of data, you have about 180, 190,000 plate appearances. 
And the error associated with the models is incredibly small relative to uh, the error of just, you know, a, a player has like 500 plate appearances in a season. And it also took a long time to fit these models. And we didn't, and so we actually don't really, it, it takes so long to do it. We just basically, for most of these simulations, we, we said fit the model once and we'll just run it after that step. So, uh, but I think you could do it. If, if, if I also understand cor correctly the um, player outcome part, that has to do with how lucky or unlucky the player was, right? In terms of the outcome of a play that happened. Um, so you're talking about the, our uncertainty the, estimates for the player? Yeah. Right. So, um, you know, if, if, a player, if a player comes up to the plate a lot and the bases are loaded and they happen to, in one season, hit a bunch of grand slams, um, that's, you know, there's going to be a lot of variability in those types of plate appearances because um, a, a successful outcome there is worth a lot of runs and a failure there is also going to cost you a lot of runs. Mm -hmm. So there's going, to be a, there's going to be a ton of variability in those kinds of things. And so um, we, we, used, we used bootstrapping uh, within a player's season to sort of simulate new seasons and then see what their war would have been in those seasons using the same, uh, using the same estimates for all of those, all the different models and all the different components. Um, yeah, and what you said here in this paper is it's like we're fixing the situation where that variability is not of concern here because we're just totaling up what happened. And we're only, the uncertainty of interest is the player performance uncertainty rather yes. than like, okay, they have this, this distribution of situations faced, right? And so like you could easily actually take what you've done and just, you know, sample different, situations for players and maybe compare Trout and Caprera, right? Resampling their observed outcomes for different at-bats, but for the exact same set of situations. Then that could, yeah, you could literally do that apples to apples comparison instead. You, yeah, you could, you could make up like, um, you could make up like a, an average fake season and then evaluate uh, all the players on that, on that average fake season and do bootstrapping on it. And so you could get like, um, like maybe, maybe you say like they came up uh, 10 times with a runner on first and no outs, 10 times with a runner on second and no outs, right? You could make up this fake sort of season and then evaluate how they did during that season and then do bootstrapping on that. And now you have uncertainty estimates on this like fake season, but you can compare everyone on the same, uh, on the same playing field. So the one thing I want to Unintended. <laughs> so the one thing I want to ask you about with the sampling was because you're just resampling plate appearances or bats, right? Do you think that breaks anything in terms of the distribution of the outcomes, especially for base running? Like, why not instead resample half innings to be like more realistic? The the simulated seasons would then be more real. Versus if you just resample plate appearances, you might observe a season for a particular player in this distribution that actually would never physically happen, right? Maybe depending on certain base out states, you know, it, it just is a total unrealistic season that maybe instead you preserve some structure in the resampling of recognizing always having to have, you know, 
three outs to end the inning? Um, so what it, what it will break, if you wanted to like, it, it, it will break something, but I don't think it breaks anything for us. So if, if you wanted like, uh, if you wanted each bootstrapping iteration, if you wanted those runs to sum up to the real runs, I, I would agree with like sampling, um, half innings. Or, or you could even you could even sample games, right? If you wanted to go to the next level, you could do, um, you could sample, you could take a team and then and then do a bootstrap on and make sure they have 162 games, and then calculate WAR. And what this would do, it would preserve um, some sort of team level total or something like that. Uh, and so, if you believe ah, in some correlation between players in the game, you know. yeah. <laughs> It all depends on what you're trying to do, right? If you if yeah. you did want to, if you did want to um, if you did want to preserve that, you could do the bootstrapping at, at that at that place. I mean, you could take it another level where if you had multiple seasons of data, you could you could you know if you had 25 seasons of data, you could do bootstrapping at the season level. You know, um, uh, I mean that has its own problems because people are different ages and things like that. But um, dep- the level at which you want to do the bootstrapping, I think it's just going to give you um, you'll get you'll get slightly different outcomes with slightly different interpretations, and they'll preserve more or less parts of the real game. Um, but I think if you're only interested in if you're only interested in, in evaluating players and nothing about the team, I think it's okay to do it at the plate appearance level. Um, but you are you are certainly losing something about the team structure or, or the within game structure. Okay. You seem dissatisfied with my answer. No, it, it, I guess it's still just kind of a – I got to think about it more. So we'll move on, though, because we've been going a long time. And we'll go on to the final set of things we want to talk about with just some discussion about war and some of the uh, implications and, you know, the follow-up from the paper. So, Costas. Yeah. Um, so I had the – few things which are not technical um high level um first of all i want to ask you uh, where have you seen a journalist that actually cares about uncertainty because you, <laughs> me- you mentioned that at the end <laughs> so but uh, anyway uh, well that's that's on that's on them not us right so like um i i uh i don't know i i sort of i sort of think that um I'm not sure, uh, and Ron, I've sort of talked to you about this recently on, on Twitter, but like, I, I don't know if stati- statisticians are doing um, a really great job communicating with um, people who aren't statisticians. Um, and, and I think the fact that journalists don't care about uncertainty, and they don't, right? um, I don't know how much blame we should be taking for that, mm-hmm. but I think it's, um, I always, I, you know, in my intro stat classes and all, and all the, the students that I see who are, are not going to like be statisticians, I am trying to drill into their heads that point estimates mean nothing by themselves. And you always need to ask, well, how, how much uncertainty do I have? And I, I want to try to get that across to people. And um, just because journalists don't necessarily care about it doesn't mean they shouldn't care about it. And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to get them to care about it. Right. Yeah, um, yeah definitely. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so one uh, question I had about war is um, 
so you said it's not predictive so it's uh, mainly a descriptive uh, accounting uh, mm-hmm. type of um, stat which is great but can you so let's say you have so since it cannot be predictive uh, how much of this work and if you can if there is a way to do that is part of the system that the player is in right so for example teams make decisions based on the roster they have uh, what they want to how they want to play and something like that so can is there any way you can think of that you could probably disentangle that and not predict how a player will do when they change team but basically predict that you know they're not going to do well because the biggest part of their success was the system so So, okay, so open war is certainly, it's retrospective. It's looking at what actually happened and it's doing this accounting. Um, if you wanted to make it, so if you wanted to like remove the effect of like um, the system they were in, this would include things like uh, if you play in a, for instance, if you play in a team and no one else is getting hits and you always come up to the bat with the bases empty and then you, uh, you play in another team and the bases are always loaded, right? Our open war is probably going to give you more credit for the, the times where you're or the, with the team that is, has the bases loaded. I, I believe the, the way the run expectancy works is that you would end up with uh, the home runs that you hit will, out, will negate or, or they will more than negate the uh, effects of getting it out with the bases loaded. But what you could do, one way to get at this would be to remove the context, right? So you could make every home run worth the same amount regardless of when it happened, right? Because that, that's essentially independent of the system they're in, where the, the system is um, sort of how many players are on base. It's different than in a sport like football, right? In football, you could have a running back who goes to a different team, and it is literally completely different. In baseball, if you have a guy who hits home runs, you put him on different teams, he's going to be doing largely the same things. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the system in baseball that I, I, I think would be more about, like, how often are your, your teammates getting on, on base? There's, there's a little bit of like, um, you know, is the manager calling in bunts more often than not? But in, you know, a big portion of the baseball season is just letting a guy go up and hit, right? There are parts where like there's hit and runs and there's things where the player is doing something to react to the specific situation they're in. But like, um, if you really wanted to remove that, uh, you, you could do that. You would just change... Um, you could even do it within the open war framework where you would change the run expectancy instead of looking at um, how many situation. runs, instead of looking at the situation, you would just say, all right, every home run is worth this. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and that would, that would certainly make it more predictive too. Um, but I don't, I don't know how you would necessarily disentangle those two things. An, an idea that we had was, I don't know how you would do this either, but could you attribute some, uh, could you attribute like value to the system? So like, could you give like the manager some war, right? Like if a manager was like, all right, we're going to bunt here. Could you like penalize them or, or uh, like how many, how many wins or runs are they adding to, to a, a team? Right. I think that would be really interesting because there's not really a great way of evaluating the effect of managerial decisions in baseball. Um, but I, I haven't thought this through. Um, and I don't know exactly how you would go about doing it, but uh, I think that would be an amazing project for like 
you know, a Carnegie Mellon summer student at the sports analytics thing <laughs> to try to tackle. Yeah, I got to think about that one more. Um, for something like man, I because you could definitely simplify it for particular types of events. Like if you decide to break down base running decisions, maybe, or, you know, like the team aggressiveness in terms of how many bases they steal or the what decision about, to bunt. Yeah, no, that's interesting. What um, about what about pitching decisions too, right? So like he brings a he brings a pitcher in uh, in a high yeah, level situation, yeah. right? So like things like that. Um, yeah, I don't know how much it overlaps with this framework though. I would have to think about that. No, you need you, to do something different because you have yeah. like um, you'd have to do something with like like if you bring a new pitcher in, you'd have to think about like what would the pitcher? It's like a missing data problem, right? What would the what would that other pitcher have done in this situation? Um, like on average, you need to build some model for what that would look like, and then um, it sounds like a Mike Lopez problem. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does sound like a Mike Lopez problem. It's called so, it's, yeah, Ruben Causal model. <laughs> so I want to ask you something. It's in the paper. It's at the very beginning, page four, section one point two. You write. Our hope is that in time, we can solidify war's important role in baseball by rallying the community around an open implementation. So I ask you, where do we actually stand on this? Because in my opinion, from what I've learned of working on NFL Scraper, NFL War, is academics tend to receive pushback from the sports analytics community, unless you're a student. If you're a student, you're very much welcome into open arms. <laughs> All right. But how do you think what has worked well with open war? Maybe what are things you think could have been done differently with it in terms of its actual impact on baseball analytics, baseball and sabermetrics? Well, um, so what I'm about to say, I think it's true. I think it's true of a lot of things where, um, uh, so like, I'm not saying I'm not saying that open war is the best, but I think there's a, there's what what actually filters through to the general public and uh, the people who are you know doing this thing kind of thing. So like baseball writers or baseball uh, managers or things, you know, people who would actually use this kind of stuff. Um, I, I'm not sure that. Well, I, I'm sure that uh, it's not always the the best stuff that is filtering to the top, right? There's like a marketing component to this. Um, if you are a uh, if you're a company, your goal is to make money, right? And so you want your statistic to get used as much as possible because there's, you know, money to be made. Um, and so you're going to be saying, all right, please use our statistic. And there's like, that's your job to make it work. I, we wrote this paper and like, we have no financial incentive that people use this. We're not out there saying, we're not like going around the major league team saying, here, we should, you should use this framework because we think this is the best. I, I don't even know if teams are aware of this. Um, well, I'm sure some of them are aware of it. Um, but I, I, I don't know how to actually, like, how would you get this into the hands of, like, I don't, I don't think there's ever going to be a day where, it'd be pretty cool, but I don't think there's ever going to be a day where, like, you're watching a, a, a I'll, use, I'll use the Pirates. I don't think you're going to be watching the, the Pirates game and someone's going to be like, this guy's open war is, 2.6 this season, right? Um, they're just going to say war. 
And and then you and, and they're not gonna. No one's gonna think. People who are watching aren't gonna be like, well, are they talking about Fangraphs war, or Baseball Prospectus's war? They're just gonna say, oh, the war is six point two or whatever. Yeah. Okay. But one I thing gonna, I guess. Uh, go ahead, Costas. Are, are they gonna ask about the uncertainty though? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine that? Where you're like you're like watching a broadcast and they're like. His war is his war is six point two. Well, yeah, but that's plus or minus four. This is like, the just... histogram showing a simulation. Of... <laughs> right, right. <laughs> the um, I, I guess I wanted to get your thoughts though on at least baseball prospectus in the last so many years has done sort of an upgrade with regards to presenting their results. Mm-hmm. So, and I, you know, I mean, Open War came out five years ago now, whatever mm-hmm. number of years. And at least in the last so many years, there are literally baseball perspectives articles by Jonathan Judge where he provides code for what they did for fitting the model, for getting their defensive runs created and these other metrics that then get formulated, from my understanding, into whatever their war measure is now. um, But they actually provide code and he's embraced being a Bayesian. And so he gives uncertainty that way. But so, I mean, that is a step in the positive direction, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. This is, uh, this is a big group in the community. Yeah. Public facing group that they literally make money from doing this. Yeah. That uh, seemed to follow then. Well, so, uh, for, so the, the baseball prospectus group is absolutely incredible. So full disclosure, I, there, they have a Slack channel that I'm on. Um, and there, there's these like, uh, the conversations are like really, really interesting. There's a really incredible group of people. There's, there's um, lots of PhDs floating around. Lots of people have been around baseball for a really long time. Um, it's a really, it's a really like incredible group of people and what they, what their skills are. Uh, and J- Jonathan Judge might be the most incredible of, among them. Uh, I don't know if you know, I don't know if you know like his background, but he's, he's a musician he's a, turned lawyer turned statistician. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he like he like did music undergrad, and then he went to law school. He's like a he's a lawyer now, and uh, he has no formal training in statistics. But he, all he does like with his free time is just read about statistics. And so he's asking me all these questions, and I'm like I'm like I don't know. I've never heard of this stuff before. What do you, where are you getting this from? And he's like citing all this stuff, and um, he just he like it's like a um, he's like super into it, and he's he's you know he's just as good as. Um, you know, he knows, he's got to know as much as I do. Probably not about like the math behind it, but like, um, he's incredible. He's just done it on his own. It's absolutely, it's absolutely incredible. Um, so it's, it's a really interesting group of people. Yeah. They're totally all about, um, open source and, and being and, and reproducibility and all that, that stuff. And, um, they're, it's a great group of people over there. Yeah. So another thing I want to ask you about, this is, this is sort of my last about what you did with open war with regards to it's based on the access of that MLB advanced media data. And now, I mean, this could be, I think it's easier to access that data with um, the bill petty baseball, R package itself, but what about historical seasons? And, you know, this is a framework you introduced for this particular set of data especially for you know the defensive modeling aspect but you know did you think about let's do our open war that's probably much simpler right for maybe using retro sheet data going back cuz the one thing i can't stand 
is when I see a comparison of someone's war from like the forties and the fifties, like he was thus the best player in that decade. His war was this based off of whatever arbitrary positional adjustment they had post world war two era baseball. Right. It's, it's absurd. And I have yeah. no idea how they're actually coming up with those numbers other than whatever linear weight scale, but then they'd make some positional adjustment and who like, I can't believe anything for defensive value during that time period. But yeah. have you or Ben, anybody given thought to this reproducible version for the historical data, maybe using something like RetroSheet? So you could probably, the answer, have you thought about it? No, not at all. Um, what I guess you could do is you would say, all right, instead of, um, well, you could probably get like plate appearance level data on, I mean, you'd have to look at what data you could get, right? And then you could probably just simplify things where like, um, you're not like for defensive stuff, you're not gonna be able to do anything. Um, but you could probably do something with offensive. You could probably con construct at least the offensive component of this somehow, because you know, um, I don't, I don't even know what you'd have. I think you'd have to do it different. You'd have to do different models for different eras. Cause you'd have more or less data. I mean, if you go back to like the 1800s, you're going to have like a box score. If you go back to, um, you know, the 1990s, you can probably get a reasonable amount of data. You're not going to have where, where did the ball land? Right. But, um, uh, yeah, you probably do different models by the way, the at last Carnegie Mellon sports analytics conference, the historian that you brought in was fantastic. When I mean, he was talking about the comments that people made and the, and the, like whether or not it was a manly play, that was unbelievable. Yeah. I guess we could, we could pitch his book scouting and scoring by uh, Chris Phillips. If you want to check it out. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. <laughs> the, um, okay. I got one more thing actually about okay. open war. So in the paper, the presentation of the results, you essentially are using an eye test, right, for assessing, hey, this thing is working. Mike Trout comes out on top. You know, that's the best way of knowing if something is correct in baseball. That's more than an eye test. <laughs> but is there really a right way to evaluate a war measure? Like, what would you actually do if you want to say – and, you know, I've seen others in our group that have done connecting it, connecting some sort of player measure of any kind to predict wins in a follow-up season. Or because – so, like, the baseball prospectus group, they do this analysis of showing how well their stats are at being descriptive of runs scored or being predictive of the stats the following year. But that, to me, is like an adjusted plus-minus player efficiency measure, not really about what happened. So if you want to get at, okay, describing the number of wins, you know, do you just look at the relationship of it equaling the wins as being the best way of doing it? I, that's what I don't know is how do you actually properly measure war when the goal is to say, this is what happened? Yeah. So like, what is, like, what is the target, right? Um, I have no, I have no idea. Like, how, how do you know if you're right? Because um, no one ever does when they present the type of like right. player metric, the one, the one number summary for a player. It varies in terms of what people do. And the one analysis right. I think that was very good was by 
Francesca Matano and Lee Richardson and others for their soccer paper where they were doing like within season prediction of yeah. the end of season record given a current value that they've observed up until a point in time. That's, like, that's, that's a very was, interesting way of doing it. Yeah. My, my answer was going to be um, you'd have to do some sort of like cross validation and try to, I don't know exactly what it would be in baseball, but you'd want to do something where like you construct a metric and then you look to see how well it works out of sample. And that's like, that would be like, what's right. Right. Um, if, if something is right, it would, it should be predictive of, well, but this isn't even meant to be predictive. So I don't know. I don't know what the target would be. Um, I, I, I really, I really don't know. Cause you're, you're, like essentially what you're trying to do is <clears throat> so so what you're really trying to do is you're trying to figure out um, you're trying to estimate what would this player's value have been over like an infinitely long season, right? So like there's this infinite theoretical season where the player gets an infinite number of bats across, an infinite number of uh, situations, he's on base an infinite number of times, and you get to see what would have happened, and that's, that's their true value. We're trying to estimate it by observing these finite number of plate appearances with different pitchers and different ballparks and things like that. And so there's no real way to – you'll never know if you're right because there's not, um, there's not this uh, – you don't observe an number of plate appearances. On the other hand, you could say – you could also just argue that, like um, – what the player does is the population, right? So like there is no theoretical infinite season. What they do is the population, right? And so you're not estimating anything. You're just accounting for it. So it's not, it could also be viewed as not really an estimation problem. It's more of a, what you are estimating is how you split it up. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I guess little, it's funny because it, it's for war. It doesn't actually quite fit into the categorization of, um, there's that meta metrics or meta analytics paper from the born lab of mm -hmm. discriminatory power, which you could say for war in terms of ranking players. Right. Yeah. And then there's, um, you know, independent information and then also predictiveness, but this idea of actually just fully describing what happened is the best way possible. You know, that that's not caught within that group of ways of summarizing or assessing your, observed statistics or estimates right. that you're coming up with based on the data the um but but there's something because like you could so you could come up with a you could come up with a, a a way of doing war and look at the results and go well that's completely wrong so there there is some notion of a rightness um i'm just not but sure it's how always to, based on an eye test <laughs> it's always based on an eye test but like right so like um <clears throat> Yeah, like, well, the best players should be at the top. Well, but who are the best players? Well, I don't know. Which I, is I, justification, right, from you would, you would want to see someone like Mike Trout up top. The, um, I guess it's part of the evaluation, to me, of actually connecting it to wins. And if you actually define it that way, then the problem's solved anyway. If you define it in terms of win probability added, then there you go. <laughs> Okay, any other thoughts from Custis you have about um, any closing thoughts on war discussion? 
No, I was I was thinking more. So war, the way it is being used, it it, it almost looks like an unsupervised learning problem. So there is uh, it will be hard to to evaluate. Similar to clustering, you get the clusters. Obviously, in clustering, there is good ways to evaluate whether the clustering is good or not. You don't know if it is correct. So they say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's almost similar to that where I test even clustering sometimes it's uh, what you do. So I think it's, um, it's hard and especially since it is not meant at least open world to be predictive, it's hard to evaluate. If, if uh, some war type metric is meant to be predictive, then you can hold them accountable in theory. <laughs> but uh, yeah. I like that. I like that description that it's, it's similar to unsupervised learning where like um, you can tell, you can tell when something's like clearly wrong, but like there's a, there's a whole bunch of things that are like reasonable and could be considered right. Um, I'm, I'm going to steal that and I'm going to use that in future in the future. That's, when I talk about good. You, yeah, the Mike good. Trout test is like the Iris data set test. Basically. <laughs> That's what we're saying here. Exactly. <laughs> So if anybody actually made it all the way through listening to this, I will be surprised. But I think that was a pretty good discussion. And, um, glad Greg was able to join us for talking about open war. The um, I'm sure if anybody wants to correct anything I said, they said Greg can't be wrong. He's never wrong. So you can respond on Twitter. <laughs> um, and Greg... Um, you know, what's your Twitter account for people to follow? I'm sure they already follow you, but just so yeah. people know how to reach out to you. Uh, on Twitter, I'm stats in the wild. You can follow me on Twitter if you and want. Can they can they follow you on Twitch? It's probably a more important question. Oh yeah, that's true. I've just started streaming on Twitch. Um, I I haven't been doing it lately because I've been grading, which is miserable. But uh, I will I will occasionally hop on the Twitch and I will live code uh my research um so if you're interested in watching someone <laughs> slowly do work um hop on twitch and watch me watch me slowly code i'm working on some shape stuff um with teeth it's uh, really exciting <laughs> well that's good so all right so i guess i'll wrap up the um we have no idea what we're going to be doing for the next episode we will tweet about that maybe record another two minute, three minute thing just to say, but I'll probably just tweet about it when we decide. But, you know, you can reach out to us on Twitter, at open source sports, it's open, and then SRC for source, followed by sports. And then also I'm at stat underscore Ron, Costas. And I'm at Cape Alacrinis. And, you know, just to conclude, um, I'm sure, you can subscribe to the show on whatever podcast service you're using. I know when people end podcasts, they always say like rate the show, subscribe, you know, based on Apple iTunes or whatever, you know, and we're not yet on every podcast subscription service, but we will be within the next week or two. So just stay tuned and we'll tweet out what services we're on when they're available, the different links, et cetera. So thanks for joining us and, Make sure you follow us on Twitter, follow Greg, and to get all the latest news and whatnot that we'll be talking about in our future episodes. Thanks.